0: Hey there, welcome to another episode of You in the Ring, your weekly roundup of campus news and events. I'm your host, Hugo Wong. Uh, Today on the show, uh, UVic will be hosting the Canadian Quidditch Championships in April, and we have someone from the team joining us to tell us a little bit about that later. Hempology 101 is looking to become a constituency group at this Thursday's UVSS Annual General Meeting. Uh, Martlett Editor-in-Chief Miles Sauer will be here to talk about that and of course the annual guess as to whether they will achieve quorum, the minimum number of attendees to actually make decisions. And for anyone who might have missed one of our uh, Miyoko's earlier segments, uh, she's one of our correspondents on the show, we have an encore presentation of her first segment, which was on her relationship um, with food and food in the city. But first... Tonight at 6 p.m. there is a beginner's bike workshop that is open to women, trans, and gender non-binary folks exclusively. And that's being put on by Spokes, the bike loan program here on campus. We have someone from Spokes uh, joining us today. Welcome. Hello. (laughs) Could you introduce yourself uh, for those who might not know?
1: Hi there. Uh, My name is Kim Smith. Um, I use she, her pronouns. Uh, And I'm a graduate student here at UVic.
0: Um, So, what was the impetus behind this event?
1: Oh, the impetus behind this event. This is—I should um, say—my friend and roommate and co-conspirator Coco Mm -hmm. um, is somebody who works at Spokes, and it's actually Coco who um, kind of spearheaded this, and I'm her—I'm her her assistant Mm -hmm. (laughs) co-conspirator hangout person. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, um, but we had been. uh, There were a number of us who were doing um, uh, women, trans, queer, femme. bike nights at Recyclistas earlier this year in the summer mm-hmm. and um and Coco was also working at Spokes and um was able to get a, a sustainability grant and uh through the university and um and is using that to fund four workshops so this is the fourth of a four workshop series that's, ha- that's happening tonight and we had the other um two we had two in the summer and then one earlier in September and then this will be the final one mm-hmm.
0: and uh what kind of skills would you cover
1: so we, there, there are two different workshops and this is the, the second one. Um, the, so this workshop just covers um, basically how to fix a flat um, and how to, how to, you, you know, everything, everything about a flat. Um, And then the first, um, the first workshop is just really like a bicycle anatomy 101 um, for really just like getting more comfortable with your bicycle, um, knowing uh, what part is which, um, knowing how, like um, how to sort of identify if there's something going wrong with your bike, like what part of it's going wrong, just and just like how a bicycle works, how the, all the parts connect, um, know where to put lubrication. Um, and, yeah, so the first one also included like a really quick sort of like lube your chain, clean your chain, um, clean your rims, check your brakes, that, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so
0: I, I take it that you're an avid, avid cyclist yourself?
1: Yeah, I've used cycling as my main mode of transportation since I was – uh, like 12 or something and i i recently got a car about a, cu- a couple of years ago because um i was living in Machozen i wanted to get mm-hmm. out of town and all, all these things and uh so i find myself not riding my bike as much but um i've been i've been on my bike and and fixing bikes for like over 19 years or something mm. dumb like that <laughs> yeah uh,
0: and was was there a lot of community interest was that one of the reasons why you decided to put this on
1: yeah it was um it was really really clear and it's it's really clear when you step into a bike shop that bike shops are are spaces where you you know you really do have to be like confident about your skills and there and there are dynamics in bike shops often that are less um less welcoming for beginners and it's often really really challenging to be a beginner in in those spaces if you are perceived as feminine or queer or just not um not not somebody who knows and often um What has happened with me at at community bike shops and in all sorts of spaces where I need to ask for help or potentially there are people around to help me is that people look at me and they look at my body and they think you don't know what you're doing with a bicycle. And even after having, you know, 15 years of um, I was a bicycle courier in Edmonton years ago and uh, even after like. You know i was going to the shop like every day to fix my bike afterwards and there were still old men coming up to me being like hey dear you know what you're doing and i'm like can you just not be here right now like mm-hmm. i don't need this and it happens constantly and so um it's it was just really really clear that to provide a space where like people just don't have to address those <laughs> dynamics um where we can just like work at whatever level we're at and support each other in really kind and open ways um was a space that was needed, and and I must say that Coco is, um, somebody who is such a guide and leader for me in terms of like how to hold the space in in a way that's really wor- welcoming and warm, um, yeah. Mm.
0: Um, and you mentioned that this was kind of, uh, would it be right to say spun out of a a program that Recyclistas has been doing for a while, or inspired by?
1: Um, that I, there's it's a complex history there, but um, but it was um. Uh, a number of us were volunteering at recyclistas who was giving their space for free one night a week or not mm-hmm. one, one night a week one night every once in a while um mm-hmm. and so it wasn't a program of recyclistas um although i do think that they have like queer oriented programming now and people should check out their like facebook or whatever um website to to see what they do have but it wasn't it was it was kind of their initiative, kind of our initiatives, kind of, kind of a collaboration. Um, mm. but it, but it was of volu- like four volunteer mechanics from outside of Recyclistas who were holding those knives.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, for the, for the workshop that's coming up tonight, how much of it is kind of a difference or, uh, Between say self-resilience, knowing how to like fix stuff on your own, versus having like a supportive group to go to if you have a question or something
1: Mm, like that. Yeah, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of longevity to the you know the group that will come together tonight and then um, and then disperse again. Although I think it is about yeah building capacity and building resilience um, within within our communities and also just knowing that like Spokes is there. Spokes is an amazing resource, Um, and Coco works at Spokes. So, you know, I, I know that um, they're often. She's often challenged by people coming in, just dropping in, and asking for support because there's not there's not that service at Spokes, unfortunately. Um, but this this really is about like increasing community capacity so that like people be, can become resources for other people too. So we can become like better, yeah, better resources for each other without having to rely on on commercial bicycle spaces um, and things like that. Although this is j- just very small efforts towards towards that. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, and ha- have you found yourself seeing a lot of like repeat attendees, you know, who've been coming for you know, sessions in the past and are come to this one now?
1: um well if if so the first two w- were it was basically like a part a and a part b and then the next two were a part a and then this will be the part b and so it wouldn't really make sense for people who have been to the other part b mm. to come um but there i think there is ongoing interest and there has been repeat attendance um and people have given us really positive feedback and have told their friends about it and stuff um so
0: mm-hmm. yeah um and do you think that you know, there are some steps that, uh, say, like, commercial bike shops could take or other spaces when it comes to, you know, being more open to to non-masculine people?
1: So many. (laughs) Um, I I should have prepared for that question, because there are so many things. Um, I think some... Like some really one oh one stuff is just like how do you address people? What are the pronouns that you use for people? Do you call people ladies? Um, How do you how do you assess what level of skill people have and what level of experience people have with their bicycles? And like some people are really good at this in bike shops. Like I must say, like there are definitely people who like greet people warmly and also are like good at assessing what your skill level is, not based on what they perceive your gender to be. Um, But it it often doesn't happen so anyway the 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 good things that people can be doing is just like assess do some like real careful assessments of like how how are we engaging with people and like talk to your staff about that talk to everybody about that um another thing is um making sure that like I, i mean like the actually I, I won't go there in terms of economic accessibility, but like making sure that there are spaces and resources that um, are like sliding scale availability and, and if people can participate in some ways and in, in fixing their bicycles, make sure that that's an option too, like to help lower costs. And so like, cause I'm not just interested in accessibility for like folks who um, aren't masculine or, you know, or are masculine, but in, you know, different bodies than, than one would a- assume. Um, i like i i think that bike shops can be exclusive in in lots of different ways but there the overlap between economics and um and queer like l g b t queer femme women stuff is is <laughs> very articulate this morning um but (laughs) uh but i think that's an important consideration is making sure that things are economically accessible as well also like don't play loud rock music all of the time um (laughs) actually like you know like actually have music that is you know like maybe not super harsh to be around. Don't call things sausage parties. That's an experience that I've had a couple of times mm. going into bike shops, you know, like in inviting me to go to bike pole or whatever. And it's like, Oh yeah, some people say it's a sausage party, but we just like it. And I'm like, mm. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's really, that's really compelling for me to go to now. Um, mm. And I think unfortunately Coco's not here and, and Coco's done a lot of really important work around um, looking at, at ways to make spaces more accessible. Um, and, also, sorry, in terms of bike shops, like just actually hire staff that reflect not just straight white masculinity. Um, mm. And I, I think that that's like actually seek out ways that you can hire staff and then listen to them. Ask them what are what are ways that we can make this space like a, a space that you and people you care about feel comfortable. Ask people that you care about. Ask people why you don't come to bike shops. Ask people why you don't have these skills um and seek seek out ways to support those things
0: Mm -hmm. um and for anyone who wants to like come this evening yeah uh six to eight p.m anything else that people should know before coming
1: yeah it's so it's in this it's it's at spokes and so spokes is in the basement of the university center so there's that um the sort of food court area the main food cafeteria um on campus um and it's just in the basement of, of that building in the campus bike center. Um, and there is no cell phone coverage or, or internet down there. And so we, if you email us, we won't know if you're lost. Um, so mm-hmm. <laughs> bring a buddy. Um, yeah, 6 till 8, we'll have food and snacks. And also there's a loud fan there. So if you have like hearing things it's unfortunately not the the best space for you but we can accommodate as best we can and if you if you have a bike with you that's awesome if you don't have a bike with you that's also fine okay um
0: and this is kind of a like an off the wall question but there used to be a lot of birds in that space yeah are they are they gone now you know, I don't know.
1: it's like coco is the one who spends a lot of time there and okay. I, I yeah that that would be a neat question to ask her but yeah the swallows okay um, that uh i i feel like they've been trying to crack down on the swallows in some way um because
0: doors used to open on their own right you take your bike down right. there and, yeah and then sometimes birds would fly out uh-huh but now it's not okay i don't know
1: them and the rabbits, hey? Just- <laughs> yeah. <Anyway. laughs>
0: we'll have to leave it there. Kim, thanks okay. so much for joining us cool. today. Thank you, Hugo. That was New Up Thing by Low Sun. On Wednesday, October 26th, the Artscape podcast presents local ghosts, General Gruff, Miscellaneous Friends, Sundry No Name, Bob LaHead, LaRosa, and Low Sun. That's all at the Copper Owl with doors opening at 8. Let's take a quick look at a few uh, events that are going to be happening on campus this week. She wants to be everything. Uh, Sylvia Plath's the bell jar letters and archives that's a public lecture with peter k steinberg happening october 27th at 4 30 p.m in room 210 of the Mearns center in the mcpherson library uh, on the anniversary of sylvia plath's birthday uh, there's going to be a special treasures and tea uh, celebrating 50 years of special collections at the uvic library uh, with an announcement of an important acquisition and a public lecture by archivist and Plath scholar Peter K. Steinberg. So he's going to be looking at the history and textual variations of uh, Plath's novel, The Bell Jar, and uh, two of his recent book projects, Collecting the Letters uh, of Sylvia Plath um, and the, uh, the Plath Archives. Uh, so we'll also get a chance to see some never-before-seen uh, poems there is a free UVSS Halloween movie, uh, it's Evil Dead, and that's playing at Cinecenta for uh, Halloween, which is coming up. That's happening October 27th at 10 p.m. And finally, if there are any classical music fans out there, on October 28th, the UVic Orchestra will be playing the Grieg A Minor Piano Concerto, uh, featuring UVic's uh, Concerto Competition winner Muzi Shu. Uh, You're also going to hear the Pier suites and also the Holberg suites. So it's just a a Grieg night all around. Sorry, everyone. Uh, That's happening at the University Center at the Farquhar Auditorium. Again, that's October 28th at 8 p.m. Tickets are $20 for adults and uh, $10 for students. And now let's uh, look back to one of Miyoko's segments from... Earlier in the year. This one is on food.
2: Yeah, the sauce, like you can get the. Can't really taste the red wine distinctly, but you can tell it's there and it's got that extra sort of um contrast to it um the carrots too i don't want to
3: divert from the cheek too much
4: mm-hmm. yeah. carrots become really unctuous mm-hmm. when you cook them with beef there's something really i guess it's the sugars or something of it they just become meaty and
3: Every bite's a little bit
5: not
2: different, but I get to know it a little better each time. I think, um, yeah, it's definitely better every time.
5: Hi, this is Miyoko speaking. And these were my friends, Emily and Ryan, who were kind enough to taste my buff bourguignon last night. I come from France and this will surprise you. I love to talk about food, think about food, cook food and eat it. For those of you who are interested, I make my boeuf bourguignon with beef cheeks. I soak it overnight in red wine with onions, carrots, and herbs. And then I let it simmer in the morning for at least two and a half hours before letting it rest on the stove all day. Then I heat it up again for some time before serving it with some mushrooms and bacon. It's
4: like bringing tears to my eyes how delicious it is.
5: Thank you, Emily. Food is such an easy way to be happy, right? But sometimes it seems to me that food can be turned into a real math problem. I was casually making some research on UVic's website the other day about what was going on around the subject of food on campus, and pretty quickly a program called Informed Dining really caught my attention. It's a program which, quote, aims to help customers make informed menu choices with a focus on calories and sodium. You can click on the different places where to eat on campus, like Village Green or Biblio Café, and then a PDF file will open with a table of all the nutritional content of each item sold on the menu. I opened the Biblio Café table of nutritional facts and checked the veggie and hummus wrap which I had for lunch once. So I could read, serving size 170 grams, calories 300, total fat 5 grams, saturated fat 0.5 grams, trans fat 0 gram, cholesterol 0 milligrams, sodium 630 milliliters, and then we have the carbohydrates, the dietary fibers, the sugars, the protein, the vitamin A, vitamin C, calcium, and finally iron. I hope I didn't lose you yet because I'm totally lost in these numbers and if you could still be on the boat with me uh, that would be wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) What's happening for me is that after reading this I don't feel like I've learned anything about what I ate. I know generally what cholesterol is, but I still couldn't give you a definition of it or trans fat or vitamin A and what they do when processed in a human body. So I went to Village Green's cafeteria and asked the students who were eating in the dining room there if they found this table of information useful.
3: Um, I personally haven't checked it out, but I'm sure it'd be helpful to some people.
2: Um, I definitely know that's helpful for lots of people. However, I don't
0: kind of check what I'm eating, so. Not for me, but I know it is helpful. Yeah,
3: um, I don't really look at nutrition facts like in general, but um, when they're there, like sometimes it like helps me choose what to eat if I look at it, like snacks and stuff. Um, I guess I would look at like the calories. If it's a lot, then
4: I'd be like, "Do I want to eat this?" Do I? I would look at the vitamin and calorie content and fat. And sodium is a really big problem in Canada, too, so look at that.
3: Often, yeah, look at that and see what's, how many calories and uh, sh- how much sugar is in the stuff. Um, I've just grown up doing that, I guess. My parents do it. We just watch it. So Yeah, I'm looking at protein levels, sugar levels, um, sodium, um, and tracking calories and carbs and fats and everything. I, I play a lot of sports teams, and I play competitively, so I need to watch what I'm putting into my body.
2: I used to track my calories.
3: Uh, I was trying to hit a certain amount of calories because I wanted to gain some mass. Uh, I tried using it for a week, looking at the menu every time before getting food. Sometimes I get it in between classes and
2: stuff, but then it just got too hectic planning things. So now I just eat whatever.
3: I love looking at like nutrition facts just because I'm like fascinated as to like what goes into food, especially if it's processed. But like I think a lot of people, including myself, don't really know like what their body needs and like what it necessarily means when it's like going into your body. And if you have this like conception that sugar is bad for you, and you're avoiding sugar, you might be like ingesting products with artificial sugars or like a chemical additive to replace sugar that's not good for you. A lot of students have allergy to certain products. Um, a lot of people like after workout they wanna ha- have uh, protein and stuff. So so they ask us what what's in the food. So we, we refer to the um, the booklet. If you talk about picard as a samosa or a chickpea curry, how that was made, what was in, what's in there, it's pretty good. You can see what you're putting in your body.
5: <laughs> you just heard 10 students and a cashier, and I can't generalize from such a small sample of people, but I have to say that I was pretty impressed by how knowledgeable about nutritional facts the majority of the students were. When I was in high school in France, so that would have been until 97, I never had a conversation with anybody about how they exactly knew what these nutritional facts meant. I only saw magazines addressed to women constantly warning about amounts of calories, whatever that meant, and making dietary suggestions if anyone had the intention to wear a bikini on the beach that summer or get their bodies back after a Christmas vacation. So from what these students and this cashier said, a lot of people do ask questions about nutritional facts. I still feel uneasy with the fact that so many people would seek an outside information to decide what they need to eat. Aren't we supposed to naturally know what our bodies need to be healthy and balanced, even when we are practicing sports like crazy? Don't you ever feel like eating specific foods sometimes, like it would feel really good to have this particular protein or that you're actually craving veggies and that you won't feel satisfied until you have some? Don't you also ever feel like what you've just had doesn't feel right, that it was too heavy or that it was not satisfying enough? Couldn't we just rely on these internal cues and be healthy? Yeah, I wonder. And I thought I would reach out to Nicole Ferterli, the dietician of the campus, to see if she could enlighten me and contribute to this whole nutritional content information conversation.
4: So Informed Dining was a program started by the BC government's Healthy Families um, initiative. And the idea was to have restaurants and food service operations providing nutrition information, because right now... The Canadian Federal Inspection Agency and Health Canada only require nutrition information on grocery shelf products, not food service products or restaurant foods. Um, and so informed v- dining is a voluntary program where restaurants um, basically convey their nutrition information and informed dining supports them by promoting that they're doing this voluntary um, program on their website and they provide marketing materials and they try and have a standardized approach to how that nutrition information is conveyed. So UVic was actually the very first campus to uh, participate in this and provide all of the nutrition facts for their products. That started a couple years ago. I think calories obviously trying to address you know excess calorie consumption leading to our overweight and obesity epidemic. Um, I think people aren't really aware sometimes of the calories in in something like a dessert that they're having after a meal and so sometimes finding out that you know you're having a 500 calorie muffin or 500 calorie cookie or or bar um, after you've already had a thousand calorie meal and that means that you've had enough calories for your entire day could be useful information um, but only so much if you're eating out all the time And generally, the message is that you shouldn't be eating out all the time, you should be mostly cooking at home. And if you're cooking at home, 80% of the time, and you're cooking from scratch and you know, simple foods, close to nature foods, not packaged and processed foods, then when you do eat out occasionally, it shouldn't really matter what kind of calories are in your food. The exception to this being our students who are living in residence, because they have to eat from our um, dining halls, every single day and every single meal period. They don't get to cook in their own um, apartments and so they do need that information maybe more than someone who's just occasionally choosing a lunch out. Definitely the students who are reading the information are the ones who are probably already quite aware and educated about it and I don't know that we're necessarily reaching the students who probably need that information. Um, If they're not interested, they're not looking for it and um, so I would like to you know, look at different formats for how we convey information. Um, maybe we have like a a dietitian's top choice kind of symbol on certain foods in the in the restaurants and in the cafeterias, um, so that people know, oh, this is one that our dietitian has said has you know lower calories or less sodium or you know more fiber or more protein and some of those kind of things. She's got some good
5: points. I could see now how providing information on the ingredient content of the plates or a dietitian's top choice could be helpful, indeed. We can't just expect students, who are often freshly learning to live a life on their own with the additional stress of the academic life to know exactly what they need to eat. But I'm still wondering if referring students and other customers to numbers and words like trans-fat, proteins, and calories is more helpful to people than guiding them on how to tune in and trust their own body signals. I would be very interested in learning exactly how in our Western societies we went from eating food without relying on numbers and be fine at some point, to eating food based on intellectual cues. I was happy to see that even though the majority of the 10 students and the cashier brought up the tendency or the need for nutritional information guidance, they still had made their meal choices for different reasons.
3: I had the vegan vegetable soup. It was this and like chili and between that and like cream of broccoli, and I was like, this one looks good. I kind of had a craving (laughs) and wanted noodles, so I walked in, and it's nice that there's a noodle bar. I ordered a curry special today. I'm vegetarian, so um, yeah, it's really good. It reminds me of home. (laughs) Um, I chose what I like to eat and tried to get something relatively healthy.
0: I love VG's because it actually
2: tastes like real food.
3: I've had it before and really like it.
2: Yeah, I make my food choices on what I like to taste and then what makes me feel good during the day. And then if I
0: notice I make a dietary change and I start feeling bad, then I just change back
2: kind of thing.
5: And you, what do you think about all this? What is your own experience with food? I would really love for you to join this conversation with me. And if not, well, I would be happy if this will have at least made your mouth water a little bit.
4: Yeah, it's so good. And the beef is just so luscious. It's like like when you walk into a a dell in the forest and there's a river, but it's sort of collected into a deep pool and your heart breaks because it's so beautiful. And you, you, it's just all, you can't even handle it, how beautiful it is. That's it's the feeling like that it know. gives me. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I can't top that, <laughs> darling.
1: <laughs> <It was. laughs>
0: Thanks Miyoko for that uh, and she's still looking for uh, stories on uh, weird rental situations here in Victoria if you've been uh, if you've had trouble looking for a place to stay um, her email is radio at gmail.com alternatively you can also email uh, the producer Liz MacArthur at spoken at cfuv.ca
6: three days in your bed My heart was open Your legs were spread I touch your scar as the sun replace the stars Sleeping naked in each other's arms Place where no one knew our names. But some open air for those flowers in your hair. Tossed our worries to the wind. You say you're tired of hurting anyway has to swallow in your time. Don't fear, I'll take you anywhere. Kiss those wrinkles from your eyes. remember what you told me before you went away protect your heart shine a light into the dark your tears are bound to end any day I don't see you anymore My darkness has begun to blur You were right A broken heart just needs some time Wolves cry out in the dead of night and the Columbine's decay, but your beauty will never
1: fade.
0: You just heard a track by Kai Plant there that's called uh, Columbines. And now we have uh, Miles Sauer, editor in chief at the Martlet, to talk to us more about the UVSS AGM this Thursday and Hempology One Hundred and One. Good morning,
2: Miles. Hello, Hugo. How are you? I'm good. I'm a little. I'm a little. A uh, little sleepy, but I'm. I'm here. How are you? I'm also a little sleepy, and I'm also here. But I'm good.
0: There you go. Um, so. AGM this Thursday.
2: Hell yeah, my dude.
0: What do we have to look forward to?
2: Uh, well, I bumped into Kevin Tupper earlier this morning and he said he's got a wicked financial report to present to everyone. Wicked. So that'll be cool. Uh, but I think the real hot ticket item that everybody's going to be curious to hear about is uh, the motion to ratify or add whatever word you want to use, uh, Hempology 101 to the UVSS's list of constituency groups. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: So for those who might not be aware, could you like go into a little bit of background about that?
2: Sure. So Hempology 101 is a student club here on campus. They've been around for uh, 21 years or so, quite a while. Uh, They were originally started by Ted Smith, who's kind of a well-known cannabis advocate here on the island. And so they've been on campus for a while and they host like weekly 420 events they uh kind of advocate for cannabis related issues like legalization and so this year they've decided that um the next step for their club to take is to become a constituency organization joining the ranks of UVic Pride, the Third Space, Students of Color Collective, and the Society for Students with Disabilities.
0: Mm-hmm. And have you spoken to the other constituency groups about you know their their views on the matter?
2: I spoke a bit with Lux West, who's the office coordinator at UVic Pride. And when I had spoken to them last week for the story we published, um, they were actually kind of out of the loop regarding like the whole thing. They said they hadn't really heard much about it, and that kind of jived with the sense I got when I was talking even to like UVSS directors where they said the petition came to them to be added to the AGM. They added it and then didn't really hear much from Hympology One-on-one since there was a lot of radio silence on their end, which was kind of odd. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, just speaking to one coordinator, one-on-one, they seemed kind of, they had a lot of questions that weren't necessarily answered at the time.
0: Mm -hmm. um is it too early to say sort of what their chances are about like becoming a constituency group uh
2: well i don't know i think because because the club got like 190 something signatures on this petition to be added to the agm and if all of those people showed up and voted yes then i'm sure their chances are pretty good but agm's as it is kind of have a trouble have trouble with getting good turnout and reaching quorum in any case so i'm not really sure i think it could i think it could really go either way i mean i guess everything can kind of go either way but this one it's a toss up Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: and so say say they make it as a constituency group the vote passes uh what happens then so they they gain a seat on the on the uvss board
2: they do yeah they they get a um they get to elect a representative to the uvss board of directors like the other constituency groups uh they won't get a levy fee right away that's something that would have to be passed in a separate referendum Mm -hmm. um so students wouldn't be paying like another fee on top of the ones they already do to support that uh and yeah they would lose their club status um, but then they would also gain some small funding that the other advocacy groups get every year. Uh, I have kind of a breakdown that Emma Kanakin, director of student affairs gave me, but it's a little complicated, but, um, from what
0: I understand, the advocacy groups that don't get a separate levy, they get access to a communal
2: pool of money. Is yeah. That what I mean? It's something like a control trust fund, something like that. And it's divvied up equally amongst the, uh. The groups, um, mm-hmm. but Emma said to me, "Let's see if I can find it here. If, if in spring that there are five constituency groups, so including hempology one oh one, then each would get uh, six thousand eighty-five dollars from this. Um, what's it called? I can't find it. It's mm-hmm. like a constituency control account or mm-hmm. something Cause, like that. Because
0: I remember when uh, the Students of Color Collective was uh, looking to get uh, a levy." Uh, You know, they, they said that in the past, like that was how they did it was, you know, through this, this communal pile, Mm -hmm. I guess. Um, But would that also mean that other advocacy groups would get slightly less because there's a new, new group in town? Yes,
2: I think so. I think this control account pool, whatever it is, it's split currently equally amongst the four advocacy groups. Mm -hmm. And so if there was a fifth one getting into that, then there would be slightly less money going to the other groups. Mm-hmm, is would, my understanding of it, which makes sense, I think.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Um. So let's talk a little bit about quorum. Sure. Um, UVSS AGMs have a history of having a bit of trouble meeting quorum with a lot of um, incentives, I guess. Pizza being one of them.
2: Yeah. Historically, historically Alibaba Pizza. Hmm. <laughs> uh. I shouldn't be laughing about that pizza's pizza but okay but go on (laughs) yeah um so there was some talk
0: of lowering quorum last year from what what was it like 0.05 it was
2: lowering it from 0.06 percent i think to Uh 0.05 okay so 0.5 or
0: something so yeah effectively 0.06 percent of the undergrad population is something like a hundred people yeah Um, did that pass?
2: No, that didn't pass. I think there was, from what I remember so long ago, uh, there was quite a lot of discussion that around the issue of lowering the bar for Uh quorum and how if you lower the bar to make it easier to get quorum, you're weakening democracy a bit. I guess I seem to remember actually a few of the current board members now kind of raising their concerns at that AGM when that motion came up. I want to say, I think Kevin Tupper might've been one of the people who spoke out against it. Same with Ben Lukachuk. I seem to remember them being pretty vocal at one of the previous AGMs, but Mm. yeah, no, it didn't pass after all. Um, so we're still on the
0: lookout for about 100 undergrads to show up at Cinecenta on Thursday. Thursday at 3, yeah. Thursday at 3. Uh, what are some of the incentives that
2: They undergrads... have door prizes. Door prizes, okay. I'm not sure what they'll be. Probably mm-hmm. the same gift baskets for Cinecenta that they always are. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I do
0: remember a few years ago they were offering an iPad mini, and that was that was a bit of a controversy in and of itself because it required such a big incentive for anyone to... I
2: shouldn't be so fatalistic about it. Uh, (laughs) I, I'm, I am really curious to see if this AGM does make quorum because the current board, well, encompass, I should be more specific. The board isn't a monolith. Um, encompass last year, a huge part of their mandate was, we're going to like increase student participation. We're going to get students out to these things. Um, AGMs have gone without quorum for too long and it's not going to happen with us. We're going to advertise for it more. Um, so if their first AGM doesn't make quorum, that would be, I don't know, egg on their face, I guess. Mm-hmm. In the past when
0: there have been big um, big motions, you know, this time regarding Hempology 101 two years ago about uh, Divest Vic, there are people who are, you know, part of those groups or have a vested interest and they show up and that tends to sort of put them over the top quorum wise although you know obviously uh history is no indicator of future uh (laughs) future happenings i I want to catch up on something that you said earlier that the board isn't a monolith uh but isn't it i mean encompass swept the election earlier this year and i don't think that there are any other people who
2: michelle brown's on the board and she was on woke uvic Okay, and that's what I mean when I refer to the board. I, I should just qualify that not the entire board as it currently sits ran mm-hmm. on the mandate that encompassed it. Mm-hmm. So, uh,
0: but the uh, the exec, I guess, yeah, it does all come from from one slate. Yeah, no, it does. Mm-hmm. Um, what else is happening? what else I don't even know I
2: think there's just like a few housekeeping like cleaning up the bylaws kind of motions nothing really um significant I guess I I mean I don't want to diminish it but there's nothing really like as uh evocative or provocative as the hempology motion sure um so
0: again that's happening Thursday at 3
2: Mm p.m.
0: for anyone
2: uh three to six is what the facebook event page says mm-hmm. so and anyone in. Who, yeah and anyone who's
0: an undergrad is eligible to vote in these motions you get a little colored card yeah um you show up and you get free pizza um let's move on to uh something else that we've uh, kind of been following intermittently uh and that's been a professor on campus uh who was suspended earlier in the year well, suspended now due to events that happened earlier in the year. Um do you wanna give the folks a little bit of background on what that was and then we can sort of move into the the new developments?
2: Oh sure. Um Yeah, like you said, I guess at the beginning of the year, uh Dr. Zhan Pan, who is a professor in the computer science department um was uh relieved of his duty to teach a numerical analysis course after he said at the first day of class that um, there was a better prof suited to teach the course and that he wasn't the best fit, but he was going to teach it anyway. Um, I'm really trying to not say he wasn't qualified, but... uh, I know that there was a little bit of back and forth about... There was a little bit of back and forth after the fact. Um, But yeah, long story short, he has now been um, suspended without pay as of a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And... Do we know how long that suspension is in place for? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Because
0: if I recall correctly, that's kind of up to the discretion of, you know, the, the disciplinary process, right? Like it's not a set period of time. It's really up to, yeah you know, whoever was there. Um, and so a, a
2: change.org petition has been created is is that right yeah yeah by whom uh judging by their facebook page they're a current computer science student here at uvec um i believe they're a phd student or a master's student Mm -hmm. um i only just read this before i came into the station um and they are asking that uh pan be reinstated with his teaching position so that the current students that were the undertaking their masters under him i think masters and phd students i would assume yeah um i guess they've been kind of left to the wind mm-hmm. after pan was suspended well because they have uh, defenses
0: they have theses uh, theses to hand in yeah and, and things like I that don't that word theses yeah it just reminds me of the 99 theses right the the martin luther any
2: yeah any theologians out there <laughs> sorry <laughs> back on track yes um so it, the yeah that sig- that petition currently asks for 500 signatures and when I checked it was almost halfway there. Hmm. Um but then I also saw a few signatures I saw a few comments from people who don't even live in Victoria so mm-hmm. maybe it's just kind of spread beyond our little sleepy campus. Mm-hmm. Well I mean these kinds of petitions sometimes have the ability to
0: to reach people from outside of this, you know, geographic area. Um, So I guess if there have been people in the past, you know, who've worked with him or, you know, and I guess that makes sense. Uh, Is there a chance that this would affect, you know, his uh, the disciplinary procedures that have been put in place against him? Um,
2: there's no direct link. This petition you mean? Yeah. Uh, you know, judging based on what I kind of know of UVic administration, uh, I don't think so.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like they're not obligated to act because of a petition, but it, no. it does lead to an increase in public profile. I mean, we're talking
2: about it right now. It's certainly, yeah. So, yeah, I guess maybe in that case. Um, I don't know. I'm just thinking about the current... Uh, Blowback around like their childcare cuts and all the public outcry around that—that that doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be garnering much of a response at all from the from the campus. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering then if a petition with you know 200 or so signatures will really warrant much different. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, but well, I guess we're going to have to wait and see on that. There's still like a fair again a lot of unanswered questions about uh, you know why this why this was the case. That's frequently the issue with personnel matters. But yeah, it's like unusually public since it would you know happened in a
2: yeah public and, forum. And I mean the Martlet hasn't been pursuing it as vigorously as we were earlier, but we are looking at kind of picking that back up and getting it getting uh to the bottom of it again. And this petition certainly throws an interesting mm-hmm.
0: branch be- be- into you the mix. Because this time like it really does directly involve students like maybe not undergrads, but masters and PhD students, you know, who have Yeah uh, future career prospects, or you know, even just like their life for the next six months is kind mm-hmm. of thrown into thrown into disarray, right? Because of this, uh, let's pick up on something that you talked about earlier, which is childcare. Something that we talked sure. about last week. Um, have there been any new developments
2: on that front? Mm, not really. That's another thing that we're kind of uh, investigating a little further after we published a few stories about it last week. Um, uh, on that note, we published three separate stories last week that all kind of dealt with childcare in some capacity. And if you read the Martlet dot the Martlet website's comment sections, you'll see that the the feedback has not been great. There's been numerous people commenting saying, "Yeah, Uvic did not uh, consult on this decision to cut a program properly. Um, the way they're handling it is." not fitting with the reputation they see themselves to have um yeah i find that re- like quite
0: unusual that they've taken such a very like a, a very hard line on on this issue i remember when uh professor castles had started his term as president a number of years ago he made it a real uh, a priority and a point to talk to uh various uh faculty members what are known as Stakeholders uh, mm-hmm. around campus about their priorities and you know camp, campus conversations, I guess. Um, and so I'm, I trying to figure out sort of how that reputation and that model fits in with what's happening
2: now. Um, I don't. Not know. that that's really a question. But. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I really it can't speak to that i don't even think i wasn't even here in 2011 well no that's when i started here but yeah um i think he took over in
0: 2013 2012 Have a look into that yeah um was there anything else that you were like working on for the upcoming issue anything people have to look forward to uh
2: we have a. Uh I mean, it's not like the most hardest of news, but we have a recap of the Walrus Talks that happened yesterday. Oh yeah, um, we're also going to have a recap of the Vic Model UN conference that took place over the weekend as well. Vic so, Polysci nerds, grappa. I was there. Were you? Oh, no, cool. I wasn't. I wasn't there this weekend, but I was oh. there in high school. Oh yeah. Oh, that was. A... Uh, I just remember like our former staff writer and graphics editor last year, Sarah Lazy and Christy Shaw were both involved with the Model UN seem like uh seem like a good time i personally don't really get it but that's just me
0: it's it can be a lot of it can be a lot of fun right if you can get into it i was I guess it so. in guess so high school you know you dress up in
2: suits it just it makes talk about it makes you think of like fantasy football though it's like oh yeah it definitely has like it's not feel. real no <laughs> it's
0: true it's it's true but... you're not doing anything you meet
2: people i'm gonna get angry letters if i keep ragging on that uh in that case uh we'll have to leave it there (laughs) this was fun i had fun this time as opposed
0: to all those other times actually i I have a blast the other times (laughs) too. miles thanks so much for joining us thank you Miles Sauer is the editor-in-chief at The Martlet. And that just about does it for another episode of You in the Ring here on CFUV. Uh, As always, I'd like uh, to thank my guests, uh, Kim from Spokes, Miles from The Martlet, and of course my producer, Liz MacArthur.